Katie Horwich is a writer, a fitness trainer, a motivational speaker, a podcast host, and so much more. Today, though, we are going to talk about an organization she started that I believe is very important for our society. It's called Women Against Negative Talk, or WANT for short. It's all about learning the art of positive self-talk, and that is what today's episode is all about. To really understand how the organization came to be and what is behind it, we have to first go through the pieces of Katie's life that built her into who she is today. I always had a lot of self-confidence, but self-confidence really doesn't do anything if you don't view it in a good, positive, proactive light. The image that I viewed it in was all murky and cracked, and I grew up believing that self-confidence was synonymous with narcissism or vanity or being full of myself. So I had all of these different talents, I guess, and I got a lot of praise. Mm -hmm. At the same time, though, that praise was coming in, and any time I started to show any sort of sense of pride in myself, I was told basically to get over myself or that I was being full of it or stuck up. So Mm -hmm. I started to internalize without anyone ever telling me this, that maybe my, my talents were to be enjoyed by others and were essentially for others and were never to be appreciated or enjoyed for myself. I think a lot of us can relate to this, especially when we were younger. There always feels to be something like a fine line between just accepting a compliment and confirming that you're the best. This is not the first Mean Girls reference that you'll hear today, but this reminded me of an exchange between the Queen Bee, Regina, and the new girl, also named Katie. Regina says, you're like really pretty, to which Katie says, thank you. Of course, as logical adults, this seems like a perfectly fine response. But Regina pounces on Katie for accepting the compliment, saying, So you agree. You think you're really pretty. I mean, Katie, played by Lindsay Lohan, is objectively pretty. Why would that make her feel so awkward? And why would it be an issue for her to agree? I think what Katie Horwich is getting at here is that our society has made it complicated to accept praise. Yet it's something we also feel like we need. Another point Katie Horwich makes is that when you're praised for being good at something, you feel like you're doing the right thing. So what's next in this complicated web we weave? I didn't necessarily get high off of the validation part of it. It was Mm -hmm. that with other people's praise came a sense of direction. It felt like I was going somewhere and doing something right. Um, So what ended up happening was... If you have, like, a childhood and a teenagedom that is based on that, when you end up going to college and you're alone and you're on your own for the very first time in life, you feel sort of out of control because all of the places and the people that you were getting direction from in the past, they're now not there. And you're sort of forced into this environment where you're fending for yourself and you are expected to make really sort of grown-up adult decisions, but you're you're still a child. So I felt really out of place in college because all of the things that I had gotten 
praised for in the past, all the things that I had been told I was good at, I was now forced to look inside and form my own opinions about myself. And what had been going on in my personal life and what I had observed and sort of picked up on at the same time is I was teaching myself this language that I never intended to learn, which is what you can call, for lack of a better term, negative self-talk. Here's where we get to the big stuff, self-talk. After all, WANT stands for Women Against Negative Talk. So I believe that self-talk isn't inherently good or bad. It's just information, and how we interpret that information is what we deem negative or positive. It's all about what we do with that information. And so throughout my life, I had heard and observed the women in my life in particular, everybody, but especially the women, bonding Mm -hmm. over negativity, bonding over things as small as they didn't like the way that their stomach looked that day, like, or, oh, I hate my thighs, something physically, like body-related, or beating themselves down publicly about what they Mm -hmm. were or were not able to do. That makes me think of that scene in Mean Girls when they're all, like, standing in front of the mirror saying things that they hate about themselves. Yeah, that it's like a bonding mechanism. And I realized very early on, uh, without even knowing that I realized it, I identified Mm -hmm. it way later, but I realized that that bonding over negativity, I, I start, I call it casual negativity, where we'll say something like, oh, I'm so dumb, as casually as we would say, oh, the sky is blue. So the way that we use that casual negativity with each other to bond over what we don't like becomes what we fall back on when we're feeling uncomfortable or socially awkward or out of place. I went to college and I felt like I wasn't I wasn't in control of my environment. I wasn't getting the the praise or the sort of like go ahead to, yeah, you should be doing this because you're good at this. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't getting that. And so what was my fallback when I was feeling uncomfortable and especially uncomfortable socially, like it was all of that programming and that language that I had taught myself to speak my entire life. And so my solution at the time of feeling out of control, feeling like I wanted to be an adult, feeling like I was uh, I was a horrible person for being so sensitive, I was a horrible person for not wanting to be as social and as experimental as my classmates were, I, I, I felt like I was just wrong, like I didn't belong at all. My solution was to emulate what I had seen the other adult women in my life do when they were feeling uncomfortable, which was control their body. So I ended up developing an eating disorder that is somewhat talked about now, but definitely wasn't talked about in the early 2000s when it was happening to me, called Mm -hmm. orthorexia. And orthorexia is essentially an unhealthy obsession with health. 
Katie's struggle with orthorexia went on for quite a while. As the negative self-talk seeped its way deeper into her psyche, she tried more and more to control what she could, mainly her outer appearances and her health. It was only when her voice teacher pointed out that all of these physical changes were affecting her voice and thus her ambitions that she realized what was going on and wanted to start making a change. So I started to listen to how other people were talking, how I interacted with other people. I started to pay attention to how I felt with other people and Mm -hmm. not shy away from it when things were difficult or uncomfortable. I will say I've always been a hyper self-aware person. And so this was actually an opportunity where I was able to use that hyper self-awareness to my benefit, not my detriment. And that's when I learned and I actually, like, realized that this negative languaging, this casual negativity, this bonding over what we loathe instead of what we love, this, like, so lack of, of celebration of ourselves and each other, I realized mm-hmm. it was so, so very prevalent in not just our one-on-one conversations, but it was a really a cultural epidemic. Like, like TV, it happened in TV shows. It happened in movies. You mentioned Mean Girls earlier. That's like a play on what was happening. Like, that was right around the time where I was doing all this exploration. Like, that was, that was the culture. And that's what products and services so often bank on for us to buy their products. They bank on us hating ourselves. They bank on us disliking something. So if they can just keep us in that, even just the slightest state of disempowerment, then Mm -hmm. they reach their bottom line. Now is when Katie realized that negative self-talk was being cultivated in our society intentionally. And it's, and it's kind of horrifying when you start to look at it and when you see how early it begins for children and it's like children children don't learn from what you tell them to do children learn from what you actually do and from what they observe and so it doesn't matter if you're telling a kid in your life that they're so great and they're so wonderful they're so talented in my case I was told all of those things that I was I was mm-hmm. so beautiful. I was so talented. I was so smart. I was told those things, but the environment that I was surrounded in, I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to believe them. I wasn't allowed to take those on as my own. And that was really around the time that I realized there had to be some other way. There had to be something aside from the mantras that are, you know, they're wonderful for some people, but they don't work for everyone that are, I'm beautiful, I'm worthy, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, you can do this. What about the days you don't feel beautiful? What about the days you don't feel worthy? What about the days you don't feel like you can do it? I realized that there needed to be a place that talked about all of that and Mm -hmm. gave people proactive steps forward to move through that instead of either like opting out and moving past it or just putting a band-aid over it and saying, okay, well, if I tell myself I love myself enough, then all of this other stuff is going to go away. Okay. 
So, and then that is how you made Women Against Negative Talk? Yeah. So the first iteration of Want began. I thought of Want at the very, while I was recovering from orthorexia, while I was in the midst of that recovery, and I saw the Dove, first Real, Dove Real Bodies commercial, and it was really the first, like, body positive campaign there was out there. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing it and thinking, this is so amazing, this is so revolutionary, where are the tips and tools that will help me get there? Where are the things that right. will help me get to that place where I do love myself and think that I'm great like these women in the ads? Um, and that's when I thought of want the first time around. And I created a website. I made T-shirts because it was 2007, and I thought that's what you do when you start, <laughs> you start something, you make T-shirts. Um, yeah. But what I realized <laughs> very, very quickly was that it was – I had thought of the idea for the the thing that I needed at the time, but I wasn't able to deliver yet. And so it sort of fizzles out that first time around, but because of the stage in my life that I was in, I was still doing the work on my own. Katie needed to be ready to lead. She explained this with the coolest metaphor. There's a saying in in writing and in public speaking that when you're talking about something tough that you want to speak from scar and not from the wound. Um, I love that phrase so much. I wish that I had thought of it myself, but it basically means that when you are talking about hard things, it is important to have some sort of separation from it, Um, especially if you're giving people thought starters or you're giving anybody any sort of semblance of advice. You want to be giving it from a place where you can stick by it. And on a personal level, also, you can have some sort of separation from it so that people can take it and make it their own. You want to, you don't want to have a codependent relationship with, with work, especially if your work is working with other people and, and helping other people and, and hopefully inspiring them. When Katie found that separation, want, as it is today, was reborn. So I had developed that that skill of writing and speaking from the scar and not the wound and speaking to what is personal, leaving out what is what is intimate and what is private. Um, and I also knew the technical stuff as far as like how to write a business plan, how to pitch people for interviews. I I knew where I could go for the pieces of information that I didn't have and I didn't know because I also Mm -hmm. knew I was very confident in what I knew, but I also was very confident and content in what I didn't know and very, very, very comfortable asking for help. Um, And so I started up while I was still at the editorial job. At first, you know, there were 25 people on the email list. It was all family and friends, and it grew way quicker than I was expecting it to. And eight months later, I put in my notice at my at my editorial job, and I went full-time with Want at the time. So if you're driving or working or just haven't hopped on the website yet, let me give you an idea of what Want includes. In the manifesto, there is this amazing section that reads, and I quote, Most people will commiserate or negate what you're saying. You're gorgeous. You're brilliant. You're born for this, babe. But the harsh words in your head keep coming back. 
We've created a normal where that's how we bond. That's how we connect over our problems and over our limits. Screw that and screw blind optimism. You need tools, not pep talks. You need proactive resources, not reactive reflections. The Want Library, as it's called, is full of articles on everything from friendship, self-love, confidence, to creating optimism in a less-than-optimistic world. Plus, there's also the Want Cast. There are over 80 episodes of Katie chatting with inspirational women and figures who all try to get us to the same goal, loving ourselves and our world in a practical and doable way. Now that we've gone over the history of want, I had a few more questions to ask Katie about self-talk in society and in the arts. I grew up doing actually a lot of like similar things that you did. Oh, I did a lot. Um, I did a lot of dance, singing, theater. I know I noticed that looking back, though, when I was in fifth grade is the first time I thought I was fat from ballet things like that. Obviously, the arts are amazing. How do we kind of shift and and use the arts in in a positive way? They can be so good or so bad for our self-image. We have to keep pushing and fighting for inclusivity within the arts. I have a friend who just wrote a beautiful blog post, and it was on her personal blog, and it was essentially like, it's 2019. Why is Broadway still so fat phobic? Like, why are, mm-hmm. why are people with bigger bodies still only there to be like the butts of people's jokes? That's, that's not just exclusive to body type as far as inclusivity goes, but we don't have, we don't have a lot of representation in the arts still. We, we've right. got, we've got, a, a good amount of representation as far as if you compare it to other vocations and other fields. I feel like in the arts, you do get the most diversity of everything from from age to body type to race to religion to all of that stuff. But we still teach our kids in the arts about typecasting and we still teach them that if they want to play a certain part, they have to look a certain way. We still reinforce competitive environments like, like it is like a competitive sport. So that's a really interesting question that you asked, and I've actually never been asked it before, but I feel like, I feel like the best thing that we can do in the arts is to use that curiosity and that hyper curiosity that I taught, I talked about a little before and what as artists we are inherently blessed with. Using mm-hmm. that curiosity to expand the idea of what is actually possible. And so when we start to expand on the idea of what's possible, whether that is the type of person that we can see in a role to um, really looking at, for dance in particular, like what's something that I've learned through fitness is that 
people's bodies and joints are actually made different ways. There are different ways that people's hip joints can be laid out where it's like some people can't do a massive turnout in ballet, but maybe they're great mm-hmm. at other things. So, like, looking at people's capabilities and 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 abilities and figuring out what we can do with that instead of creating this ideal and this mold for people to fit into. I think that that could be really powerful and um and I think that that could really have some really some larger positive impacts on like the arts in general as 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 our culture gets older, you know. There's a lot of tools on your website, like in the Want Library and everything about this, but I want to know what is one of the biggest things in our society that you think is having a lot of impact on our self-image, and what is something we can do to shift that? I feel like the easy and expected answer would be the media and uh, whether that is social media or TV or magazines, whatever, I feel like that's what most people talk about. So I actually don't want to talk about that. I would cool. say that I think that the biggest thing that is affecting our self-image is actually being complacent in an environment that doesn't inherently want us to have a great self-image. To your next question on how to start to address that and shift it, getting curious about who we are, how we are, and why we are the way that we are is a very powerful tool. And if we can go down that rabbit hole of curiosity, the exact same way that we would go and with the exact same enthusiasm, we go down an Instagram rabbit hole or a YouTube rabbit hole. Just keep, <laughs> keep digging and keep looking underneath what's going on and why that is and why that is. It might mm-hmm. not get you to this, like, aha, positive, I'm the best person type of place underneath everything, but that's not the goal Anyway, the goal isn't necessarily to be this hyper-positive person. The goal is to be Mm -hmm. a proactive person and not a reactive person. If we could all get a little more curious about ourselves and about other people, I truly think that it would change the world. So that's like the deep, heady internal stuff. The Mm -hmm. very simple and um, very doable suggestion that I give to people who do want to shift their self-image is I suggest that people give at least three conscious compliments per day. So not just, oh, you're so great, or, oh, I like your hair, but really, like, going in and celebrating someone else. Oh my gosh, your hair is so beautiful is like how how did you make a curl that way like asking a follow-up question so engaging the person also that makes it more than just like a you know how we say to people like oh how are you doing fine like it just becomes this very like one note transactional thing giving compliments is a very easy way to start to retrain 
and relearn the language that you actually want to be speaking in your life internally and externally because it's all the same language. It's all the same wording that we use. And so if it's really hard to start on the inside, starting on the outside and recognizing the recognizing the good in others, celebrating the good in others, um, even just appreciating how tough things can be for others instead of trying to fix it for them, that helps train your brain to speak the language of, oh, I can appreciate this within myself. I can celebrate this within myself. I don't have to fix everything in my life right now. Things can just be hard. And because they're hard doesn't mean that they're bad or wrong. It's a really simple but really powerful way that anyone can start to get that in motion. Thank you so much to Katie for your time, insight, patience, and advice. My name is Rachel Woodall. You can find more artistic license on WGNRadio.com. And all of my art lives at RachelWoodallMedia.com. Until next time, this has been Artistic License. Thanks for listening.